Games podcast episode number two, where this week we'll be talking about phobias. The idea was brought about this week when Kira Lovely McCoy suggested that we talk about phobias. That's not her middle name. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so what made you think of the idea? Um, I was in work and Anthony in work gave me the idea. He was like, why don't you talk about phobias, kind of spooky stuff because it's coming up to Halloween and fear and everything. And then what really got me interested was he was looking up, he was telling me that humans are only born with two fears and the rest are all inherited through your environment and what you learn. And the two things you're born with are the fear of the dark and the fear of loud noises and everything else you're just taught as you grow up. Are you not born with a fear of heights? Yeah, I thought that was... Well, yeah. Not according to Anthony. <laughs> according to Anthony. Anthony is God. Gospel 3. I just thought that 16. was really interesting because I was like, hmm, so everything else is just learned. I could have swore when I was in college and I was doing my whole thing on fear that heights was one of them. Because babies, like, they did this experiment where there was, like, a ramp and the baby was sitting on top of the ramp and they had a glass surface over the ramp. But if the baby went to the edge, they wouldn't take a step over onto the glass because it looked mm. like they were going to fall. Well, I don't know if that's just common sense, but that was the example they gave. <laughs> I thought you would have been afraid of stuff that was too bright also. Yeah. But, and more, like, anything that affects your senses, like something too bright, a fear of falling. Did he say a fear of falling? He right. might have. So and Go- he's cursing you right now. <laughs> yeah. So Google says, newborns have two fears, loud noises and falling. Oh, what was the other one? Fear oh, of the dark? I might have guessed fear of the dark. You might have said falling. You think babies would like the dark? It's nighttime. Yeah. It's womb time. I bet you he's like, if he is ever listens, he'll be like, that's exactly what I said, Kira. Why are you misquoting me? Sorry, Anthony. Surprise. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I'm looking at an article here from the National Geographic. Oh. And it's got uh, something like they did some big experiment with 48 six month old infants where they were tested kind of how they react to different images and like they tested like by pupil dilation and various other things um, and they showed them pictures of spiders and snakes on a white background for five seconds um, and to prevent parents from inadvertently influencing their infants reactions they were giving opaque sunglasses during the experiment that prevented them from viewing whatever image was shown. Mm. So, yeah, when they saw the pictures of those, they consistently reacted with larger pupils when they were shown, uh, than when they were shown control images of flowers and fish. So it seems like there's a different reaction. That's Isn't that like a genetic thing? Like we are already afraid of spiders and snakes because they have yeah, poisons? Yeah, it's, it's, it's so probably an instinctual it. thing. But that's what I'm saying. It's like an innate fear that yeah. you're born with. So. Mm. But is it a phobia? That doesn't sound right at all. Why not? The National Geographic. <laughs> How can you tell what it is? It's because of an instinctual response rather than... Yeah. A, because instinct is like an inherited memory. Just pictures, like... Because yeah. you know the way if you saw a spider, I can imagine that loads of different animals would be afraid. And like, you know, when we were all cavemen in caves, it would be like, thing, move fast, get away. Yeah. Like... But if it's just a picture, it's just, weird that they would be afraid. Just like animals that don't have any, like, high-level thought know to run when they see certain things. So, let's get into what phobias are and what they're about. So, what is phobia? An extreme or rational fear or an aversion to something. So, I've kind of split them up into two groups, like, what, what are the difference between fears and phobias? But before I do that, David has um, a few different types of phobias, I guess. Like, they come in different types. Yeah, there's three categories. One is specific phobias, 
where a fear of a particular particular object or social situation immediately results in anxiety and can sometimes lead to panic attacks. There's agoraphobia or agoraphobia, as the Americans say. We've been having this conversation. I, is it pronounced agoraphobia or agoraphobia? I always said it as agoraphobia. I always said it as agoraphobia, but it's spelt agoraphobia. Yeah, I, I, anytime I, like, I don't know if it was just from American TV show influence, but it was always agoraphobia for me. Just know, listeners, that if we say agoraphobia or agoraphobia, we mean the same thing. Sorry, yep. go on. So that is, which you'll be speaking about a bit more, is a generalized fear of leaving home or small, familiar, safe area. I was reading about that, actually, though. I thought agoraphobia was, like, more than that. Like, it's not just a fear of, like... Because you know how they talk about it. It's like a fear of, like, wide open spaces is the common conception. But... Misconception. But um, it's definitely, like, loads of stuff, right? Yeah, it's... It's generally, like, when you go out... You're afraid of going out because you think that it will lead to panic attacks. So it's... Or, like... Yeah, there's like something where it's like a situation you can't escape from. Yeah. So you're afraid of going somewhere in case you have a panic attack. And then the third category is social phobia or social anxiety disorder. Are you going to explain what that is? It's fear of social situations. You know, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows because everybody has it. (laughs) To some extent. No. <clears throat> I feel like everybody has some sort of social phobia. I don't like think whether so. it be speaking in front of crowds or I don't know. Like, I think again it comes down to whether or not it's irrational, you know, cuz All right, yeah, maybe it's not a phobia, but an anxiety disorder. Yeah. I don't know. Some days you feel like you can totally talk to people and other days you're like, "Oh my god, I can't." Yeah. Mm. You know when you fight over who's going to answer the door to the pizza guy? And you're no. like, why am I fighting over this? I should just answer the door, but I just don't want it today. David always answers the door because he's sitting closest to it all the time. <laughs> it's calling them. Yeah, yeah. Calling them on the phone sucks. Especially when you have to pay by card over the phone, so it just makes the phone call even longer. And then you have to call out the number. And then when you hang up, you're like, right, I need to just have sit down. <laughs> no more saying numbers today. <laughs> yeah. It's actually mostly sorted until you try order Chinese. <laughs> Because you can order, like, a chipper online, you can order mm. pizza online, but when it comes to the Chinese, on the menu online, they don't have salt and chili chips. So you have to call. <laughs> we were losing our mind when Apache's website went down. Shout out to Apache. <laughs> and um, Apache's website went down. It was so, for ages we had to it's ring. It's just they didn't accept credit cards online. Yeah. So He said no cash, no. Oh, yeah. Don't carry cash. It was so stressful. Worth the phone call, though. Um, okay, so moving on, because we could go on forever. So the difference between a fear and a phobia. So they're pretty similar, uh, but they have one key difference. So the anxiety people experience with a phobia is so strong that it interferes with the quality of their life and or their ability to function. So it interrupts their daily life. Therefore, it's a phobia. But as you know, a fear, you can be afraid of something, but it won't stop you from living. So I've put them into two categories. So there's an everyday fear and then a phobia. So for an example, an everyday fear is being like up high on a ladder and feeling a bit like wobbly or dizzy which is a bit you'd be common you'd be up there it's windy like you're like this is scary Mm. you know you feel uneasy so it's normal for most people but a phobia is avoiding your favorite ice cream shop because it's on the third floor of a building so it's up too high even though you're still pretty safe you know you're really living if you're not having your favorite ice cream man what are you doing if you're not having your favorite ice cream 
even though I don't eat ice cream. Oh my God, Tesco have Ben and Jerry's vegan ice cream. It's yeah. the bomb. I saw it there the other day and I was like, oh, better avoid that. <laughs> the real ice cream. It was really good. Close call. So another example is if your friend had a pet snake and when they're holding it, you might feel a bit weirded out, like get it away from me. Why do you have it out of its cage or terrarium or whatever? It's normal. But a phobia is avoiding your friend's house completely because they have a snake. That's another one. I have one more if you want to hear it. Mm. Um, or not liking spiders. Most people don't like spiders, but it won't stop them from going camping in the woods. But somebody with arachnophobia won't go camping with their friends in the woods because they know there's spiders there. So scary. So it's interrupting their daily life. They, It's stopping them from socializing with their friends mm. and stuff. So it's a phobia. So I just have a list of what are the common phobias. And please forgive my pronunciation. <laughs> so, ophidiophobia is a fear of snakes. Does anybody know how to pronounce that? Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia, which is, I feel like, is the inherent thing that Colin was talking mm. about. So, acrophobia is a fear of heights. Aerophobia is a fear of flying. Uh, cynophobia is the fear of dogs. Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Astrophobia is the fear of thunder and lightning, which when I read it, I was like, that's a phobia. But then, of course, it is. Every, loads of people are afraid of thunder and lightning. Yeah. But, like, when I was a kid, I don't think... I was always like, oh, my God, there's lightning. There's never lightning in Ireland. It's quite funny, actually. You know, like, the whole, like, naming convention for some of this stuff is, like... So, it's Latin fear is phobia, right? Mm-hmm. And then the first part is Greek, right? So, it's, like... It's strange that it's, like like that but then a lot of the time now when you're seeing stuff the common term is actually just an english word followed by phobia as well yeah. and so you get a, a lot of mix between the two like i actually saw instead of that word you had there i actually saw snake phobia and it was like wonder what that is <laughs> you know? that was actually snackophobia <laughs> fear of eating too many snacks <laughs> okay so there's uh trypanophobia is the fear of injections which i definitely had up until I'd say like two or three years ago when I had to get so many blood tests, not for any particular reason. I can't actually remember why it was. Low B12. And uh, I went like one after the other and I remember one day I was in there and the nurse, well, she was actually a doctor, but she was useless. And uh, she poked me like four times and Jesus, couldn't get any that blood. That does sound like a bad doctor. They're not supposed yeah. to do that. I was like, come on, man. And then she tried it like my, on my right arm in my elbow pit or whatever you call it. <laughs> Whatever they're called. Um, The the inverse of a (laughs) weenus. The inside of my elbow has really bad eczema. So she was like, I'm going to try your other arm. And I was like, man, you're going to stick a needle in there and it's going to itch for the rest of my life. (laughs) It's still itchy. Um, Anyway, she was useless. And after that, I kind of wasn't really afraid anymore. So anyway, great doctor. So And uh, where was that doctor? (laughs) (laughs) So there's mesophobia is the excessive fear of germs and dirt, which actually a lot of people have. And last but not least, the most common in the world is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders or other arachnids. So the phobia is most common um, is the most common affecting as many as one in three women and one in four men, which I feel like is not that common because I feel like we're all definitely afraid of spiders too. Well, actually, no, we don't have a phobia of them. Yeah, I don't think that stat is true because it's not like 30% of people have a phobia of spiders. I would say they do. I'd say that's a reasonable number. You do know, like, people who have proper fears of spiders, you know, like, to the point of them not being able to do something in their daily lives, though, you know? Like, people deciding, oh, I'm not walking past that, you know? That would interact. That's interfering with your daily life, right? Mm -hmm. I suppose it's, it's less abstract, though. Like, 
the thought of a spider in that hallway as opposed to there actually being one there. Now that I think about it, I don't know if I know anyone who's irrationally afraid of spiders. Mm. Like who, like, I won't go to sleep with a spider in my house if it's sitting on the wall. But like, if it's near me. But if it's mm. over there, far away, I'll kind of be like, ah. Depends on the kind of spider for me. Yeah. If it's just yeah. one of those thin, dangly ones, it's like, yeah. Live there cool. all your life. <laughs> it's cool, because he'll get rid of some of the other ones. Yeah. Um, I know, uh, I won't say your name, but one of our friends has a fear of birds. Like, really bad fear of birds. That's, I feel like that's a proper phobia. Her name is uh, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> Alfred Hitchcock hates birds. <laughs> um, so I just have a few notes here on what causes phobias. So particular incidents or traumas, like I suppose if you were to get bitten by a dog when you were a kid, you'd be afraid of dogs because mm-hmm. you're so traumatized by what happened. Learned responses picked up in early life. So if there's a spider on the ground and your parent or somebody who's minding you reacts very badly to the spider, you'll pick that up too, thinking that's the way that you should react to that type of thing. Genetics. I didn't know that was a thing until today that you can, can you really pick up or, or are you more just predisposed to a certain phobia because of your parents? Yeah, I read that today too. Yeah. I didn't read that. I have three types of two of which you've said. You have two types of what? How you develop a phobia. Right. So classical conditioning, which is through a traumatic event, vicarious acquisition, Parents. which is seeing someone get scared of it. Oh, so yours is just a fancier version of mine. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> but it doesn't say genetic. Um, I, this, this is relating to agoraphobia. I'll explain a bit later because right. that's what I'll be talking about. But it, now that I think about it, it is directly related to that. Um responses to panic or fear is also what causes a phobia so it must just be your innate natural response to something say if you respond to um let's use a dog again running at you badly once then it might you'll keep reacting that way and then you'll develop a phobia so long-term stress can cause feelings of anxiety and depression and reduce your ability to cope in particular situations that is also a cause so the last cause that I have is informational acquisition or transmission, which is where you read about it and then you develop the fear. So really? like if you kept seeing on the news planes crashing and then you develop aerophobia or whatever. When you first said it, I was like, that's crazy. But actually, no, it's totally, I can see that happening. Mm. Again, it kind of sounds like <clears throat> at, at what point is does it switch from being irrational to rational? You know, like if... I was always seeing plane crashes on the news almost every day, then I'd probably think, well, damn, it seems like I do have a reason to be afraid. Yeah, you probably have... I wouldn't say you're wrong, but the media only show you crashes. That's true. They don't show you all the successful but it's, flights. it's like, a, yeah, you're just making a decision based on in, like insufficient information. Yeah. Um, it's irrational in general, whereas it might be rational to you. Yeah. Right. So let's say Colm did avoid planes because of all these crashes on the news. And um, I got to stop getting my news from planecrash.com. <laughs> but is it his fault? Like, I mean, if that's what the media are showing you, it's not really irrational at all. Well, yeah, I don't think any developing any phobia is going to be the person's fault. No, I don't mean... Uh, that's not what I meant. I just meant <laughs> I that... I blame the victim. <laughs> <laughs> is that not what we're supposed to do? <laughs> no, I just mean that, like... It's... it. 
putting it like that, it seems totally rational to be afraid of flying when all you see on the telly are planes crashing or mm. disappearing. Where are they gone? The Bermuda Triangle. No one knows. Like, <laughs> um, it's yes, it's irrational. It's irrational in the world. But if you were in a car crash and you didn't want to get in the car again, I don't know if that's totally irrational. Yeah, and like and that's the traumatic event one that you're yeah. talking about, Dave. Like, it's kind of seems like yeah, that's totally rational for that person in their life and their experience. That's mad though. Like, that's some. I'm glad you brought that up because it is funny. It's totally rational to the person and makes sense. I suppose what defines it as a phobia is if, is if it's like, the thing about being in a plane and a car is there is a real danger. Like you could crash, but being afraid of spiders, in this country. It's not really yeah. rational because they can't hurt you. And not to mention, there is a kind of an inverse version of that, which is people who know something is entirely irration- irrational, but they still are afraid, you know, which is a lot of them as well. So that's the kind of area that, you know, at that point, you could totally call it a phobia in a clearly defined way. But then when it comes to the other ones, you're kind of like, I guess it is still a phobia to everyone, like you're saying, outside looking in. But, you know, right. So... Here's some phobias that I thought were quite interesting, right? And I want to see if you guys can guess, what, guess they what they are then, okay? Cool. Tunnel phobia. Fear of tunnels. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, driving phobia. It's a fear of driving? Yes, it well, is. Well oh, done, Insectophobia. I have no idea. This is hard. Yeah, it's pretty tough. I told you. Kiri, I think you know it. Is it a fear of, oh, what's it called? Insects. Yes. Very good. <gasps> oh, I was going to say spiders. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like you said a different one, but snakeophobia, you know. Um, fear of snakes. Um, symmetrophobia. Get more complex now, guys. Is that a fear of symmetry or non symmetry? It's a fear of symmetry. All How right. does that work day to day? Yeah. Because everything, everybody wants, well, not everybody, obviously, but so many people want things to be symmetrical. How do you. Unless it's a controlled mess. Mm. There's some symmetry in that though. Ha, is it like your face or it's like your probably. clothes? <laughs> yeah. I fear my own face. <laughs> I'm guessing there's a corresponding asymmetrophobia also, or maybe they're all under the one bracket, I, you know? Um, well, yeah, but the symmetric phobia people don't like to talk about asymmetry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the first rule of their club. Um, yeah, uh, Germanophobia. Fear of Germans. Yes, and uh, German culture. Really? I was going to yeah. say germs. I thought yeah. I was, thought I was taking the piss. <laughs> yeah. And uh, verminophobia. Fear of... Vermin. Vermin. <laughs> I, I was first. I was first. It's actually a fear of germs. So, uh, yeah, you're really <laughs> off there, guys. Do I get a minus point? Yeah, you do. That's actually minus 20. <laughs> no belong. Mary's minus 20 as well. Yeah. So you're really way off the bar there. Uh, I had a couple other ones actually. Do you have real hard ones? A taco phobia. Fear of tacos. No, it's a fear of speed, Mary. I don't know why you'd say that. <laughs> I like tacos. Yeah. I have one. Hippophobia. It's not hippos, is it? Is it hippos? It's, it's not hippos. <laughs> is it hippies? Does anyone know what hippopotamus means? No. A large thing? Water horse. Oh, okay. So fear of seahorses? No, it's fear of horses. <laughs> <laughs> Hippo, okay. Interesting. 
I was also I was trying to find nice ones that I could catch you out with, like have the nice string of ones that were super obvious and then catch you out with them. So this one was kind of weird that there was a specific one for it when I found it. It was Melissa phobia. Fear, fear of people called Melissa. You're wrong. It's a fear of bees. <laughs> so you know you're so easy to leave. You know? I feel like someone called Melissa just made that up. She was afraid of bees. Yeah, it's, I kind of said it quickly as well. It's Melissophobia. Right. So oh, I decided I to say it quickly. You're a big fat phony. To catch you guys out. And I was also going to potentially do a, a list of animals and then do Tyrannophobia. A fear of Tyrannosauruses. Tyrants, yes. A fear of tyrants? Yeah. Don't we all? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was basically all I, I like... I was on the way home on the train today and I was literally just looking up a bunch of them just to try and catch you out with after a list of really obvious ones. And it was really hard to find a list of obvious ones as well. Because <laughs> of most me. of them are obviously Greek rather than just English words. Um, I'm guessing... Oh, speaking of the hippophobia though, um, do you know the longest phobia word? No. It's hippopotamonstrosisquip Italiophobia. What's it a fear of? Hippos? Long words. It's a fear of long words. That is so ironic. <laughs> yeah. And as I, I actually nearly got mixed up with it because there's another one that's a hexacosiohexacontahexaphobia. Fear of witches. No, but fear it's a good eight. guess. Fear of hexantons. It's a fear of the number 666. Oh. oh. That oh, right. Hex, yeah. I was yeah. off. Yeah, I actually thought that fear of witches would be something like a uh, hex, something like uh, mm. that, you know, like hex and tans the game. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't. It's like a uh, wiccaphobia, I think it is. So. Oh, that kind of makes sense too. The, yeah. Alanis Morissette needs to put that in her ironic song. The <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? When hippopotamus is stressed, it's going to be a long words. It actually is ironic. Well done, you got one. <laughs> um, and just to keep it a little bit topical, coming up to Halloween, does anyone know what the fear of Halloween is? Halophobia. I'll give you a clue. It's not a Greek word that it begins with. Pumpkin phobia. No. <laughs> That's the fear of... Sourphobia. Hmm? Sourphobia. Sourphobia. Is it? It's literally just the word sound. Oh, sourphobia. Sorry. Mm. Is that from Irish? Yeah. Man, we famous. Yeah. Uh, Oh, by the way, the fear of pumpkins is cucurbitophobia. What is that? It's like fear of cucumbers. Cucurbitophobia, yeah. And if you're a vampire? Uh, Draculaphobia. No, if you are a vampire. Oh, Dracula. No. <laughs> what do you have a fear of? Uh, is it spectrophobia? No. Uh, I, don't, I was trying to lead you to... Garlicophobia. Yeah, garlicophobia. It's not garlicophobia, you... <laughs> but it's uh, alliumphobia. Why did they make them so hard to say? They didn't. They're probably super easy to say in Greek or something. Yeah. And Latin. The phobia part, that's easy. Mm. Got that down. So I was trying to pronounce this in the car because I couldn't really just like walk around my other job saying it out loud. And I was saying it was 
omphalophobia and then Colin said to be careful pronouncing it because that could mean the fear of penises yeah it really is phallophobia <laughs> it would just be penises so. right so I'm going with omphalophobia so it's the fear of belly buttons and it is one of the rarest phobias in the world which really surprised me considering that everybody has a belly button it's just not everyone is afraid of them <laughs> yeah but still they hurt to touch but that's like saying everybody has eyeballs why is not everybody that's exactly the, the thing that calls it <laughs> yeah. I also said that because you said like they hurt to poke and I was like so do eyeballs yeah <laughs> kind of but I'm still surprised that people aren't more afraid of them because they're much weirder than eyeballs they're weird sure yeah but what? I mean we don't look out of them that's for sure like people would be afraid of other people's eyeballs because they because they're afraid of poke people poking them yeah their own eyeballs but I don't think like is there really any fear of somebody poking you in the belly button well I don't know but if they did you wouldn't like it not if they pushed all the way through. <laughs> do, you so, ha- do you have this fear? Well, this is what it taught me today that I, I just don't. Because you know that we were talking about phobias and stuff and it has to stop you in your life and it doesn't stop me in my life. I actually hadn't, right. or living my life, I hadn't actually thought about it in a long time. But from rereading it again today, I mean, it's just a horror story. Like they're yes. all, it's just, it's just I don't like it. Just like spiders, I don't like it. How did you ever get your belly button pierced? It's not a problem. And my, my need to be a cool teenager outweighed my fear. <laughs> but it's not, it, to me, it's not the, it's particularly for me, the problem is, you know the way you clean your ears, right? You're in the shower and you wash your hair and you clean your ears and you like run your finger along the crevices of your ears. Do you do that with your belly button? No. Because that's what it's kind of the thought of that really that kind of gets me or someone poking it. I mean, you gotta clean it though. No, you don't. You, you just do, yeah. I use a loofah and like I scrub over my belly, but I'm not gonna. Colin actually dries his belly button. You've I do gotta that too. clean it and you gotta dry it no, because it it's just a bacteria does sink. Thing. It's Can just I something I've never thought of. Just it. say that mm. someone that we know didn't know that Audis were a thing until recently. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that Are Mary? you outing me? <laughs> Uh, yes, that is true. I didn't know people actually had permanent Audi belly buttons. Did you think it was just when they were pregnant? Or when they were born, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't actually seen that many of them in the wild. Like, um. I've, it's, I've never been to the beach and seen somebody with an Audi belly button. I used to do swimming classes with a guy on an Audi. Kids often have Audi belly buttons. Nope. Like, no, they don't. I mean, I've never seen one. Like, I've never seen... I mean, when you were a kid. Yeah, no. You had one. (laughs) You always had an itty belly button when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. They they don't change just like that, do they? Well, mine was an Audi when I was a kid. Really? Well, not like an Audi Audi, but it was like more close to the surface. I've just gotten fatter, basically. (laughs) (laughs) It's hiding in there now. But like... Mine's deep. Yeah. Mine's like a couple of centimetres. A couple of centimetres? <laughs> yeah. You could store like... Like I would you say... You could store your spare Skittle in there. I'll tell you now. A lot of Skittles could be stored in there. Okay. So, oh, God, stop <laughs> Just please. make sure you clean it out first. David, you're on the same level as me. So my I belly button... Like the tip of my index, my middle finger there is where it starts and the tip of my finger is where it ends. Did that hurt? No. Wait a minute. What? Say that again. So th- this is where it started... This doesn't... And then where my fingernail is there is where it ended. So she's describing about... It's about two centimetres. That's a little bit over a centimetre that looked like to me. That is like two centimetres. Like that much. Okay, yeah, that's about two centimetres. That is what I would describe as too deep. Um, For those of you that can't see, obviously you can't, I stuck my finger in my belly button. (laughs) It's about two centimetres deep. 
Yeah, it's, I think she actually perforated it and went oh. inside her internal organs. She's currently bleeding out and smiling the whole time. <laughs> so there are three categories of severity for this phobia, okay? The first category... Any? <laughs> and flatty <laughs> no belly button a person who, the first category is a person who suffers from the mildest form of this phobia is scared of touching their belly button or anyone else touching it and they won't touch another person's belly button however they may be able to look at belly buttons or watch someone touching their own so what what category do you fall into well I definitely it doesn't impact my life or anything like that I don't want to touch my own because I'm worried that I'll feel something and I won't be able to get it out (laughs) (laughs) and if it hides behind one of those folds I will I just don't want to know I don't want to look at it I just don't I don't like it what do you think is in there it's just that it could hide in there. How do you know it can't go in? Tell me this. What does the inside of the belly button look like and where does it lead? I actually don't know enough about the anatomy of a belly button to uh, I have often question. thought about it. Like, I know that's how your mother fed you, so it obviously went to your mm. stomach or whatever. But it heals over, so... It's actually yeah, your very why first does it scar. Healed, why does it heal in folds? Why doesn't it heal flat? I, I remember reading something about it before, like... I, I can't remember if this is true or not, so this is going to have to be really fact-checked. But if just the umbilical cord. cord was cut and left to hang and rot off, that you wouldn't have a belly button, or at least you wouldn't have as much of a belly button. Right. That it would heal in a different way. Yeah. But, it re- like, when you, you go and you have a baby, right? And then they cut the umbilical cord... And then they tie it in a knot and they stick a little clamp on it so it dies. They don't cut it off at the belly. So it does fall off and you're left with your belly button. Okay. So that's the fact checking done. (laughs) What I would have thought anyway, because when I've seen like... Newborn babies. Newborn babies, they don't clamp it at the belly like. I actually haven't seen a newborn baby with an umbilical cord on. It's weird. I don't don't want to see it. It's like... like that's a potato and the root's growing out of it. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. That's a potato baby. <laughs> like so, they dug that out of the soil a little too early. Uh. <laughs> the second category is more severe. This is a person, a person at this level of severity may experience anxiety when seeing someone touch their belly button or the sight of a belly button. So that's David. I David's dying. Would you not, would you have a problem seeing someone's belly button? No. But the idea of Mary touching her belly button is weird because it hurts. It doesn't hurt. If you poke it, it hurts. It doesn't hurt. Just like your eyes. Yeah, so don't. What it doesn't if, hurt, You man. know when you stand at the edge of a cliff and you think, oh my God, what if I like jumped or something? I won't, but what if I did? If I put my finger on my belly button, I'd be afraid I'd just right. stick I, it right in. I understand that mm. because when we were standing at the cliffs of Mower, I was like, I could just walk off. Right yeah, it's so weird. Um... The third category is the most severe. A person with this level of severity may feel anxious or scared just looking at a belly button, whether it's their own or not. What's it going to do? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to get you. <laughs> just the thought of it. Well, well if it exists. was an Audi belly button, it could touch you, potentially. But if it's an Innie belly button... <laughs> Depends how far out it is. It's not going to do anything to you. Yeah, but that's with all phobias. There's like... Even just thinking, like even just thinking of a dog. Right, I get it. Yeah. Set you off. Yeah, but at least there's like, oh, what they could bite me. Okay, know? I have to know. The belly button is not going to bite you, I think. And this is where we get to the irrational part. <laughs> what? E- some are more irrational than others, it seems. What um started this for you? Okay, so when I was a child, I got my mum's lipstick and I put it in my belly button. 
<laughs> and I just drew all over my belly and I drew on my belly button. Do you remember the thought process? Uh... This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> I like lipstick. I like belly buttons at the time. And then I put it in my belly button and then I went down to my mom and I was like, look what I did. And she was like, you better get that lipstick out of your belly button or you could die. <laughs> oh my God. What age were you? I don't know, young enough. But I was like, what? Eileen. Yeah, come on. So then I had to, obviously she was just trying to protect her lipstick. And, then <laughs> and I, your belly button. I had to go up and like scrub it out and stuff like that. And ever since then the belly button became like, okay. So the belly button is somewhere where you could get really hurt like it's do you know the, the you could doorway die. between inside and outside exactly that is mad so that kind of stuck with me well it's not mad it's totally reasonable mm, for a child it was like oh my god I could die and then yeah that's where that started um, yeah so you are on the one where it's like learned responses or no it's not a learned response a trauma yeah trauma um, yeah. So the symptoms are what made me think I didn't really have it. Like, because people who have this phobia would have anxiety when seeing other people's belly buttons. That doesn't really bother me. Anxiety when merely thinking of belly buttons. Not really. Intense anxiety when seeing their own belly button. No. Panic attacks. No. Muscle tension, shakiness, and sweating. No. Sweating, kind of. Because when I think about belly buttons, I think about someone putting their finger in mine, and that makes me sweat. <laughs> <laughs> what if? What about? If you're thinking about somebody sticking their own finger in their own belly button. Well, it's fine. It's just I can feel the right. potential pain yeah. you might feel. I think we've discovered, though, that David has a real thing for belly buttons. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> so here are the fears associated with belly buttons, what people are afraid would happen. So a person with this phobia may fear that their belly button may open and cause their insides to spill out. That there is some of the umbilical cord remaining on the inside of their belly button. Okay, I've never thought about that. Yeah. But that would be something yeah. I'd be totally weirded out by. But isn't that what it is? Shh. That is the rest of it. But like, yeah, imagine so there's a little. I'm imagining though, like imagine a skin, like a squishy, like this much like left. Yeah. Side. Imagine right. though, it would be like popping a big spot, just popping your belly button. <laughs> There's no. Um, and that it is unclean. So that makes sense because it's like covered in bacteria. Um, so the impact on someone's daily life if they're like really severe. So the person with this phobia may avoid areas where navels might be seen, like the beach or a public pool, and they might wear clothes or a plaster to cover their own belly button to avoid having to look at it or getting anything inside of it. And they might shower in their clothes. So there are really definitely hard. people who have operations to close up their belly button. You can get it glued. Oh, but your belly button is still there. It's just invisible. Mm. Some people have barely any belly button. What do you mean barely any? It's Bre just really, it's almost just barely a little button. dip. Yeah. <laughs> <Rather> <laughs> than, yeah, like a crease rather than anything else. But like, I know you can get, you can get a hernia that happens. Okay, this will need to be fact checked. But it's a hernia that happens under your, a baby's get it a lot. It happens under your belly button. And it means that your belly button isn't closed. Oh my God. Okay, that's kind of... That's different. That's like something has gone wrong medically. Yeah, there's mm. no there's no irrational feel, feel, fear. Fear! That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> there's no irrational fear there. That's totally rational. Yeah. David seems that like he's going to get sick. I do not like it. <laughs> so, because this phobia is more of a specific phobia, it is likely caused by an environmental factor... Like when I put yeah. the lipstick in my belly button. Um, I did read though about it also, remember we were talking earlier about it being like genetic, so you mm -hmm. might be predisposed to getting these kind of phobias. And um, they were making it similar to OCD because a lot of people with phobia feel the need to like constantly clean their belly yeah. button. So the treatment's available. There's no specific treatment for this phobia. However, exposure therapy may help them, may help sufferers 
in overcoming their fears. Exposure therapy is the only way to mm. get over anything. I remember watching this show where this lady was really afraid. She had a phobia of knees. <laughs> I've got that. Did you what? know? Did you know that you're not born with kneecaps? Yeah. So I can see where she's coming from, that they're a bit different. Like belly buttons. They're on the weird side of things, uh-huh. you know? Um, but yeah, they went through exposure therapy and this man had to sit beside her and like slowly get her to get used to touching his knee. It's called genuphobia. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. So here are some disgusting facts I learned about belly buttons. <laughs> I actually, just before then, um, I also actually know another one, which is um, Melissa genuphobia, which is the fear of the bee's knees. <laughs> so funny well done <laughs> oh <sighs> nice and quick good call <laughs> so pushing on your belly button makes you need to pee because it sends a signal from deeper fibers that line your inner abdominal cavity to your spinal cord really? your spinal cord at that level is also relaying signals from your bladder and urethra it feels almost the same well i just touched my belly button and i don't need to pee you should <laughs> I was going to say you should just poke it but I don't want to know so um, Cher was the first person to expose her belly button on TV in 1975 what? you no, go Cher not no. true surely the internet was, told surely me surely there was some clip of people at the beach or yeah. something okay she was the first important person <laughs> okay oh, 19, <laughs> what, what year did they say? 75 Okay, one hundred percent. There was definitely belly buttons on TV before then. <laughs> Why one hundred percent? We only had conservative TV back then. People so had to put stoppers in their belly buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Just corks. Yeah, you need your you need your TV cork. <laughs> Don't even think about going on that screen. I'm wearing a suit. You need to cork it. <laughs> I didn't think about the you, like. You're totally right. There had to have been videos of people Just on the beach maybe she's the footage. first celebrity or something to show I on mean, the belly button how, what's the first Bond movie what year was that I'm sure there was plenty of belly buttons in that <laughs> yeah google it there Colin Khloe Kardashian suffers from this phobia I'd love to have a conversation tidbit <laughs> um, some animals like chimpanzees actually gnaw off umbilical cords giving their babies a flatter or smoother belly button and that's why I can't find Feifel's belly button why don't animals have belly buttons? he did but his mom gnawed it off and made it all flat naughty naughty so actually cats can that might be not done be... with people? like if you were to cut your umbilical cord what do they do? like cut it much closer to the skin? they give a good bit and then they kind of just clamp it and it just dies either but I mean end. animals like oh they just chomp it off only is certain an, animals is it an Audi at the time well it's a rope <laughs> I need to see cats in the womb pronto it's monkey style yeah I'm not sure cats are included in the gnawing people thing gnawing belly button group but uh, yeah I learned a lot about belly buttons some things I couldn't bear to write down other things were fine <laughs> I think it looks like shares was the first that was kind of mainly on screen you know like it wasn't like mainly on screen it wasn't like it was just a shot of her belly button but like, <laughs> it, I suppose it was like the main character or main something <laughs> it was the main what? belly button what did she call it <laughs> but um belly button like there's there was a bunch basically before then as well but there was some kind of rule about 
it, like a standard code of practices where a woman's navel was not to be seen. And it stood until like 1984 or something like that. Wow. Go share. That's oversharing. <laughs> nice. That was really interesting. Yeah. 83. Now, I hope when you go home, you don't touch your belly buttons. So I'm going to talk about agoraphobia or agoraphobia, whatever way you want to say it. So it is an anxiety disorder, which I, I was aware of, but I didn't realize that that's kind of what it's defined as. Um, so I thought this was pretty interesting. In an article in the Irish Times from 2005, it says that AWARE, which is it's a place that provides support for people suffering from depression and stuff, uh, did a study that showed some 320,000 people in Ireland suffer from anxiety disorders. Wow. So I know that was from 2005, but like it's... 14 years later it's a long time but uh, and I'd actually say it's a lot more now because it seems as the years go by more people suffer from anxiety disorders um, but even at that agoraphobia is rare only 1% of the population have it or develop it because um, their anxiety gets so extreme so it's defined as an intense fear of public places where escape is difficult they have a hard time feeling safe outside of home alone so there's like a little test you can take to see if you are um, agoraphobic. You need to have two or more fears of five particular situations to be diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. So here's the first one. Fear of open spaces. Two. Fear of enclosed spaces. Three. Fear of public transport. Four. Fear of being in a line or a crowd. Or five. Being outside of your house alone. So if you have two or more of these you're probably agoraphobic. People with agoraphobia will avoid these situations because they're afraid uh, that they can't escape and it leads to them not being able to live a normal life. So it obstructs their their life. So it's a definite phobia. So it's just so sad. It's an everyday thing. Like imagine not being able to, like you can't stand in a line in a shop mm. because you're like. It's a proper impact one. Like there's no way about it. Like if you can't leave your house on your own, then you have to impact someone else to get them to come with you. And do you tell them what you have mm. or do you kind of, just go under the guise that you're just hanging out, you know, and all that panic yeah. of like, do I do I tell them what's going on or do I ask them to just come up and we'll just go out together and that'll save me having to go on my own? It'd be like me and you going out somewhere and me not saying anything mm. to you about having it and then we're in a queue in a shop and you run yeah. to get something and I'm out of there. Yeah. Like, it's pretty intense. But, um, so some of the symptoms include rapid heart rate, um, excessive sweating, trouble breathing, feeling shaky, numb or tingling, chest pain or pressure, lightheadedness or dizziness, sudden flushing or chills or an upset stomach, which I feel like is just a lot of anxiety stuff. Um, so what causes it? It's typically diagnosed between the ages of 25 and 35, which is like, isn't that also schizophrenia age? Yeah. Um, like most anxiety disorders, doctors aren't sure what causes it, but having a panic disorder can really play a role in developing agoraphobia. Or any anxiety disorder really makes people more predisposed to, to developing it. So I'm going to do a little brief. It's just a short thing about panic attacks. <clears throat> because that is the most likely cause of you developing agoraphobia. A panic attack is a sudden period of intense fear or discomfort where a person feels something bad will happen. And that there is some imminent threat or danger. So these feelings can become so intense that they result in physical symptoms. Um, like the ones I just read. So they can last from minutes to hours. People say that they think they're having a heart attack or that they're dying. Panic attacks can happen even in familiar places. So this makes them completely unpredictable. Therefore, yeah. like you're not even safe 
where you think you're safe so you can't even go out anywhere where you normally would where you wouldn't have a panic attack because they're unpredictable and you're afraid of having a panic attack it's a vicious cycle isn't it yeah because when I was reading it today I was like one thing just spurs on the other mm. and it's you can see the more I read about it I was like you can see the pattern of exactly how it would happen and how easily it could happen if you just had one panic attack like and it started a whole thread of it so there's also genetic components so if you have a parent who suffers from agoraphobia you are 61 you have a 61 percent chance of developing it too isn't that insane like there's a 39 percent chance you won't get it and that's been like proven in people who weren't raised by their parents i don't know (laughs) it's because of the the nurture versus nature it's the, uh, learn from your parent behavior. Yeah. Okay, I thought you said it's genetic. It is genetic. That's what it, that's what I have written down here. I don't think it's genetic. I think it's that vicarious acquisition type thing. What about panic disorders though? They run in families. I kind of wonder as well though. Sometimes, mm. like, you know, the way there's so much more stuff coming out about gut bacteria and how it affects people's yeah. moods and their actual psychological makeup can be so affected by gut bacteria. That potentially, like, whatever you're passed down from your parents in terms of gut bacteria or anything else or similar diets even could potentially be impacting some of the same family-type illnesses or behaviours rather than just pure genetics. Yeah, they pass it through through your belly button. Exactly. Kira's dying. Exactly. That's where the fear is let in. That's why it's so important to cover it up. So the last thing that can cause it are environmental, well, actually I'm sure there's more than this, but um, this is the last thing I've written down, that is environmental factors such as a traumatic event. So if you were on a train and you had a panic attack, you'd then be more likely to avoid going to the train again for fear of having another panic attack because that place could now be a trigger. So it has also been linked to like abuse during childhood or losing a parent suddenly or traumatically at a very young age. So more trauma and then developing a phobia because of trauma and so on. So what happens? The anxiety of having a panic attack will then make the person avoid everyday things. So they'll avoid going to the shop because they are afraid of having a panic attack or going to work because they're afraid they'll be placing themselves in what could be a potentially embarrassing situation in front of all their colleagues. So it makes their circle very small and it can become so overwhelming that people become housebound, which is so understandable because they're... Like, when you read about it, like, have you ever been in a situation where you're just like, I am completely overwhelmed and I just need to be at home because whatever, you're overwhelmed and you can't deal with life. Mm-hmm. And then having that happen once. So then the next time you go to do that thing, you're like, oh, I can't go there again. Like, and then it's just... Proper negative association. Yeah. So this can lead to depression and guilt. So things like not being able to drop your kids to school or go to parties or social events can make you depressed. Or the fear of judgment from others as to why you're not at a particular party. Or if you are there, why you're sitting in the corner not talking to anybody. Like, it's like, I'm trying to make a bit of effort here by going to the party. And now people are like, what's wrong with you? And you're that, like, it's just, no matter what you do, there's something keep coming at you. It's so horrible because even when you're in your safe place, like your house, if you don't go to the party, the whole time you're in your house and that's going on, mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh my God, I should have been there. Now I didn't go. Now they're all going to be wondering why I wasn't there. Yeah. So you're even getting it at home. It's a complete catch-22. Yeah. If I don't go, I'm in trouble. If I go, I'm in trouble. Like, so shit. 
So the treatments are CBT, which is, you know, good for anxiety disorders and stuff. So cognitive behavioral therapy works to change faulty thinking and helps people understand that thoughts are not reality and teaches people to be mindful of their, that their fear is irrational. So this then makes it easier to, to cope when having an attack. So a CBT therapist will teach you techniques uh, which you can implement into your everyday routine and stuff. And that can help you manage your anxiety, which helps stop attacks before they happen. So a note about therapy, because most people with, well, I'm not gonna say most people, people with agoraphobia will avoid therapy because they, they can't physically get to the place where the therapist is. Mm. But just a note that a, a therapist who treats people with agoraphobia will come to your house. So if you have suffered from it or do suffer from it or are afraid of seeking help because you, you can't actually leave your house with the panic, a therapist will come to your house. So just bear that in mind if you feel like you need to seek help for this kind of thing. Um, there's also medication. So a lot of people avoid medication because they don't want to get addicted or dependent on it or anything like that. But uh, always talk to your GP before you decide that you're not going to take medication because actually what it does is it gets you out of the haze. So if you're so stuck in your daily routine of being stuck in the house and you can't do anything, um, but you're reluctant to take medication, just be aware that you may not have to be on it forever or even that long. You might just need to take it long enough to get out of the fog, just enough that you can actually go to therapy. So then that is your ultimate um, thing that makes you, gets you well, uh, if that makes sense. There are also some medications like Xanax, for example, which they work like a fire extinguisher. So if you were out and you could feel a panic attack coming, at least you can take it mm. and it's like fire extinguished. It's fine. I'm fine. So then you know you have that there. So if you were going to have a panic attack, you'd be like, well, at least I have that there. So you're less likely to have a panic attack because you know you're safe. Yeah. So I suppose even just having that stuff on you is a bit of a comfort. And then I just have a little story. So somebody close to me, I won't mention their name, has suffered from agoraphobia for 20 years and wouldn't leave the house without somebody with them. So they have very kindly written us a little bit about their experience and what happened and how they, they overcame it, by the way, just so you know. So I'm just going to read it here. The first time I realised anything was wrong was when I was in Dublin with my aunt and I lost her when we were shopping. I had to get the bus back to work feeling panicky and lightheaded. I lost it completely when I got back to work and they had to call my aunt who came straight away and my boss drove us home. So my aunt took me to the doctor that evening who said I, was a ner I had a nervous condition. There was no understanding of any mental, any mental issues at the time. I just had to get on with things. I lived with agoraphobia for 20 years. As time went on, it just became a way of life for me. Anytime I went anywhere, somebody had to come with me. Eventually, I realized I couldn't live like this anymore, so I went to my GP. He sent me to the local clinic to see a psychiatrist. He said I needed to see a psychologist who would help me to live some kind of normal life. It turned out to be the best decision I ever made. My therapist saw me every week and bit by bit I learned to handle the phobia. My therapist would call for me and we would go for walks a little further and further each time. My homework was to try and do a little each day on my own and keep a record of my progress. One of the best pieces of advice she ever gave me was when I felt panicky to count backwards in threes from 101. Whilst I was focused on that, the panic subsided a bit by bit and eventually I learned to go out on my own. It got to the stage where I could get the train or bus to meet my therapist and I felt fine as long as they were there to meet me when I got there. 
Gradually, I actually enjoyed going to meet them and the nervousness subsided. It was a hard slog and it took about a year and a half to two years until I was completely at ease to go out on my, by myself. I didn't take any medication as I wanted to be aware of everything that was going on. I felt this helped me as I didn't want to cope with the withdrawal from medication. I was offered medication when I first saw the psychologist, but as I had been on medication for depression for years previously, I had had some bother coming off it. So I didn't want to go down that road again. I did it myself and there's a lot of help out there for people like me. It's great these days that people are so much more aware of mental health. When I first had this phobia, people used to think I was stupid and silly and my imagination was running away with me. They just didn't understand what was going on. Neither did I, to be honest, at first. I would advise anybody who suffers from any type of phobia to seek medical help. The first port of call would be the GP and he can refer you on to the most relevant professional. I was sorry I didn't do this in the very beginning because I lost nearly 20 years of my life to fear of not understanding what was wrong with me. I thought that it, the fault was mine. I'm much wiser now, as I know the problem arose due to the death of one of my parents when I was at a young age. I hope this little essay as such might help someone to seek the help that is there rather than live in fear. Take that step today if you are one of those people afraid to go out. You will get your life back, believe me, I did. So it was a good story in the mm. end. Um, the person who wrote that also said that if anybody out there is directly suffering from agoraphobia or something like that, that where they feel trapped and they can't get out of their house or they need someone to talk to, that they would love to speak to you. So if anybody needs some someone to talk to who's been through it and successfully got out of it. Like I have to say, 20 years is such a long time to yeah. deal with something like that. Like you would think that's kind of, oh, you're built into so much r routine now. Like you won't get over it. But like such a success story and I'll say that that person is like they drive they have a job they go out every day like it's properly normal life they live day to day without worrying or panic attacks or anything anymore like it's crazy it's yeah. just and I remember talking about it and they were saying that they used to go for walks like they explained like a little bit every day and then when they reached the town where they live like as they walk from their house to the town that everything just lifted and it all went away. And they were like, I used to sit in coffee shops and be like, life's amazing. Yeah. This is amazing. Like, it, I just thought it was mad that after 20 years, all it took was to walk from their house to the town and it all just lifted. I know everybody's different, but like, it's just such a success story. Mm. How long did they have it before they went to see the doctor? I would say there was probably a few attempts to get help, but I think it was probably 20 years before they really sought serious help. It must be amazing to take that kind of, that step of, like, as I said, that's it, I have to start living my life and going out there after 20 years to make that phone call, book an appointment and... I'm so annoyed. I actually had it written down. They gave me a quote and it was great. It was like the secret of overcome. I'm going to mess this up because it's not word for word. But it was like the secret of overcoming it is having the determination to not want to live that way anymore. Mm. Like the, the absolute want of being like, I can't like, I can't live my life this way anymore. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. So which like fair play. I mean, when you live your life a certain way for that long, like you must have some serious determination to want to change course. It's literally like living your life on hard mode. Yeah. Yeah. Super hard mode. 
And, and then, are, things can be hard enough without those kinds of problems. Yeah. And then, like, it's like, like, if you suffer from anxiety or depression or something and you finally decide to go see the doctor. And that's the hardest bit mm. because you have to go through the hard bit of deciding to go. And then you have to do the treatment. And that's really hard, too. And then it becomes a bit easier. Yeah. Like, it's not easy straight away. Mm. But as, as they said, like, if you're determined, if you really want to just get yourself back together. It's just mad to me because I don't really remember them while they had it Mm. I only remember the way they are now which is functioning day to day going to the shop going out for lunch or whatever driving the car doing everything completely independently so when I hear that like 20 years kind of not being able to go outside the house without somebody else is it's just two totally different people who are they yeah but yeah seek help from a medical professional if you suffer from something like this so important get your life back yeah that's a really good message I hope like 20 years is a long time like it is two different lives yeah like I was watching a YouTube video yesterday about somebody who had it for they stayed in their bedroom for two years whoa yeah and I'm like wow that's a long time Uh, but like she so the recovery rate without treatment is 10% it's much higher for people who seek treatment but um, yeah, like two years in a bedroom straight, and then she d- she doesn't she didn't exactly seek treatment, but she has um like self soothing methods of like counting backwards from one hundred and one in threes, mm. so it's difficult in order to get her panic down. But she like her she had her first panic attack attack even on a train, and then now avoids trains like she'll get one if she has to but she, she said since she had that first panic attack she, she's only gotten a train like six or seven times since so she's not completely over it but she's coping but like the yeah the rate of getting over it without even thinking about it anymore is 10% unless you seek medical treatment makes such a difference having like when you've got someone who comes along and they're not part of your family, they're not part of your friend group and there's someone completely different, it's just you absorb so much more of what they're saying because it's like, I know they're getting paid and stuff, but it's like they're doing it. You don't have that weird connection with them. So you don't have to, you still don't have to kind of tell people about it or mm-hmm. whatever. I just feel like you take instruction better from somebody who knows what they're talking about. Yeah. It's like, we're just so lucky to live the way we live now because when they were suffering from it, nobody... It wasn't a thing. Mm. Like, well, it was yeah. probably a thing, but like people were like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you, why are you being so, just so dramatic? Like, and it's a real thing. Like, at least now, if I feel like anyone our age or younger than us, especially because they're even more open than we are, are like, oh, I have anxiety. Like, oh, I've, I have depression. Like 10 years ago, people wouldn't say that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we're lucky to kind of be like, I have it. We have it. I like to walk around the pole the right way because that's just the way I am. (laughs) It is amazing. Like the internet does a lot of shit stuff, but it also does a lot of really good stuff. Like there's stuff you pick up without even realizing all the information you're taking in. And then the next time someone mentions agoraphobia, you're like, oh, I know what that is. And you can understand someone without them even having to go into too much detail. I feel like I knew a lot before I started reading about it. But Mm. I was like, when, when it's put all, like as Colin was saying at the beginning, like it's not a fear of open spaces. It's a fear of, not being able to escape of yeah. being trapped um, which I think is I'm, I'm sure people who listen are like oh I didn't know that like mm. if you nip it in the beginning yeah it won't get very far like 
I remember when I was gone, because I did a whole, I think I did like two months in CBT therapy for anxiety. And I remember thinking that if it had just been nipped in the bud, I would have been like, I, I'd be fine it, early on. But at the same time, so when I was having all this anxiety, David was like, you worry about everything. And I was like, what? No, I don't. And then it's so clearly pointed out to you that you are a worrier. And then when I went to the therapist, like you have to fill out this form where you tick the boxes and uh, they tell you exactly what's wrong with you. And she was like, you just have general generalized anxiety disorder, which is like what most people would have. But um, they it's great because they give you, I don't know where I came from, so I don't know where I'm going, but I'm just going to keep talking. So they give you the techniques that you need to to stop it getting out of control again. Because I remember thinking, I had it for a couple of months before I rang the therapist. I remember going to the GP and he was like, this is the number of the therapist you need to go to and you should make the appointment now. And I was like, is that all you can do for me? Because I need this to stop now. Mm. Like, that's the struggle. And that's the thing, actually, with... I know there was nothing the doctor could have done, but the Irish system is so bad for people, like, seeking treatment when they have, like, depression or anxiety and they can't live their daily life because it's like, oh, I need help now. And then a year later, they get a letter to say, oh, we've made an appointment for you in six months' time. And it's like, what? For the last 18 months, like the a total of 18 months being like, what am I supposed to do for that amount of time? I'm losing my life here. And mm. anyway, it makes me rage. But um, yeah, the, I felt like after he was like, you make the appointment, I had, so I had a panic and then I went to the doctor. And then in the doctors, I was properly panicking. And then after that, I was kind of like, I just need to get control of this before it happens again. And then had gotten so much control and then had a complete meltdown. I think I tried to go into work that day because I was out of work for a couple of months. And I tried to go into work that day, had a total meltdown, rang the doctor again. And he was like, did you ring the therapist? And I was like, no, of course I didn't. I'm <laughs> panicking. <laughs> so I, rang, I ended up ringing the therapist. And that's the scariest part is ringing to be like, I need to make an appointment. And then you ring and they don't answer. And you're like, I don't have the strength to leave a message. Mm. And then you're like, okay, I guess I have to ring again, leave a message. Like, it's so fucking hard. Um, but I remember going in the first time and just being, she was like, why are you here? And I was just like, I don't know, I'm finally going, all right. And for the whole thing, you're just not, nothing is happening. They're just listening to you talk about your life. I think the more you share, the more relatable you are. Mm. I feel so much better without much, the camera. It's much easier for other people to understand you when they have something similar to you like I was saying this to David earlier when you talk about like social anxiety or agoraphobia or fear belly buttons somebody out there is going to be like I have that and this person it, we have a a connection mm. it was much easier for me to tell everyone that I couldn't cope that my anxiety was so bad I couldn't go to work because if I kept it to myself that was going to drive me crazy mm. whereas if I kept saying it to people and it was funny because the more people I said it to, they were like, oh, I that happened to me. I had that once. Well, I wasn't as bad or mine was worse or I was housebound for 20 years. Mm. Like there are so many extremes. And the more you say it to people, the more you realize that it is the norm. Yeah. I think it's good as well because it probably like gets people onto the same. It, it brings everyone onto the same level yeah. to the point of actually you could stop caring about some of the stuff as much. And then you can stop thinking about it as mm. much because it's like, oh, they're not all like enemies or something like that out there. They're not all judging. There probably should be more to that sentence. <laughs> like if you were to listen to a podcast about somebody talking about their specific 
uh, social anxiety or agoraphobia or arachnophobia or whatever. I, I feel like you'd only be like, well, fair play to them. I've no idea who they are, but like, because you're hardly going to look them up and be mm. like, this guy, like, it's just interesting. And it's, I think once you share once, it becomes easier every time. Mm. That's why I talk so much about it. I feel like I bring it up a lot because when it happened to me, I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm, this has not happened before. When am I going to go back to my normal life? What happened over there? Like, it's, it's a complete, it really is a change of route. You were on this path for so long and this is all you ever knew. And then something happens that totally disrupts it. And you're like, I don't know who I am anymore. And when you're, you feel like you're the only person that that's happened to, you're like, I have to ask other people if this happened to them. Like, at least that was my way of dealing with it. Mm. And I have to say it was very helpful. It was like, I'm not alone if I just keep talking about it. And people were like, nobody was mean or everybody was super sympathetic and like this is what this is my story and you're like fuck yeah everybody has it so it's nice to know and I remember explaining to a much older member of my family that everybody probably has some sort of mental thing going on that they don't talk about or just to a certain degree they have something everyone has something and they were like so everybody suffers from something going on I have something like that. And, but they had never said it before. So it was like totally baffling moment where they were like, I'm not crazy. Everybody has something like this. Like it was just new information. And because they were much older than I am, they're like, I wasn't around when this was okay to talk about. I remember when I was talking to someone before, uh, who was a bit older about how, um, you know, the concept of the fear. Yeah. Right. So it's basically anxiety after a night of drinking that wasn't talked about in the way it is now years ago at all so people like even something as light as the fear you know like so people would be there the next day worrying about it and suffering but they never were like oh god the fear i had the next day oh yeah and this kind of camaraderie about that they would just suffer in silence that sounds like (laughs) a nightmare that is awful yeah that's really bad like if we go out on a night out you always call me in the morning. You have to make your phone calls. And you're you like, know? do you have the fear? And it's like, yep. When I have the fear. It's the norm. I get the fear really bad the older I get. And I, get, I can't be alone. And I just can't be alone. I don't want to have to think about things. I don't want yeah. to remember things. I just want it to be over. I want it to be the next weekend so I can black it out again. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I don't know. healthy. <laughs> Is it a phobia? Do you know? So I was, I tell, I told David this. And then David told his sister. who then They both thought it was hilarious. I can't have a shower without having my phone there with something on YouTube because I can't have time alone with my brain or I'll overthink. I get that when I'm hungover. When I'm hungover and I shower, Colm has to stand outside the shower That's, while I shower. It's it's not like a mandatory thing or anything. Like that. I it would sounds prefer like you I did. have to do that. <laughs> yeah, just you don't have like to do you, you just want to go and talk. Like I just want to talk and I just want to be distracted. So I get that, but it yeah. doesn't. It's not every day. But is I, it an irrational thing? I definitely get it the next day though. Like after after a thing of drinking with a beer, like you know that it's the same feeling as when like to anybody who doesn't drink and doesn't know what the fear feels like. It's like an entire day of you remembering that embarrassing moment mm. right before you fall asleep. But, or, or 
you know you were perfectly fine. You remember the night, but it's like dreading that you did something yeah, just that you can't remember. Or that you know you didn't do. Yeah, you didn't do anything, but you're like, I'm still Could dreading I, it. What if I said something or what if I did something silly and I don't know what it was? I don't think I've ever got that. Stop. What? Like, I'm being serious. What? You've never yeah. had the fear. Not of doing something... No, that that's because you sit there gone. silently in the corner. That's why. Yeah, you can be rest assured you didn't say something. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, David is like the quietest member of our group where he'll sit and observe and not say much. And then um, we'll all be mid-conversation and drinking and all. And then David will go, he'll be like, I have something to say. And then he'll say something very brief. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds very formal like that. But he will. He'll have Everyone something to say. And then everybody will be like, oh my God, David's talking. What is he saying? The whole room. Like, it must be interesting. I get, I was just thinking about how you were saying with the YouTube and the shower. And I was thinking about that, you know, if you're left on your own in a room, if with nothing to do, yeah. and people think it's been ages, but it's only been like four minutes and they just can't stand to be alone. I think it's like that kind of thing. You can't, no one wants to be doing nothing. It's, it's, it's not doing nothing. Like when I go to bed and I know Colin has this too, where I have to watch something on my phone so that I can go sleep. Yeah. Distraction. Because if I have something to listen to, I'm not thinking. Mm, so it's I'll anxiety. It's definitely anxiety, but it, I don't know. I, like, I used to be able to go to sleep as a kid. I used to have to have the telly off. I used to have to be quiet. The room used to have to be dark. And I went through phases of being like, go sleep in the dark, turn the TV off, or the TV had to be on. And it was one extreme or, the other, or another. And it was, if I happened to fall asleep with the TV on one night, then that was it. It had to be on mm. for a, so much time, so much amount of time after that. And then... I'd turn it off one night and they'd be like, now it has to be off every night. Are you listening to the videos or watching the videos? Both. But if I know I'm going to sleep, I'll kind of close my eyes, but the video will still be on. Right. I think it's a thing for me anyway. It's like, and it's it's not even like it's always, I, and like, I don't think of it as like, oh, I always have anxiety or anything. Like, I don't think about it at all. Neither like, do I. Don't Doesn't impact me in any way, really. Like, I don't think about it. And then at the same time, I generally... I'm awake to the point of like, no, not every, not like to the point of, oh my God, I'm literally, the second I turn off the laptop or turn off the show that I have to conk right then and there. Though sometimes it is like that, but I, I'm not always staying up to the point of I'm absolutely exhausted so that I know I can instantly fall asleep. So I do stay up later though so that I know that generally when I'm turning it off, I know I'm just going to go to sleep within the next five to 10 minutes. You know, that's generally how it is. But if I decide to go to sleep early and I decide, okay, I'm not going to look at any shows and look, turn off all screens, I'll end up staying way later, staying up much later than I would have before because I'm literally just sitting there thinking. Yeah. And yeah, how do you switch off your brain? And it's, it's not necessarily about social things or yeah, anxiety things. or anything. It's just stuff. It's like anything, any scenario, some stupid mad daydream, anything. And it's like, the brain's constantly going, 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 and you cannot stop it. You should walk through the park. I've tried that. It works. Mm, it's really good. I try it, and then I just, just I, you know, I get lost. <laughs> Having the ability, because it's a form of meditation. Like, so Kira, when she goes to sleep, imagines herself walking through a park, and then it turns into a dream or whatever. Mm. Is that what happens? So it's like a form of meditation. You have you have developed the ability to concentrate and be in the park doing things. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm sure, for, for me and Colin... Um, like it has worked for me but there's definitely been times where I've been trying to walk through the park and then been like did I do my taxes yeah like 
this kind of thing. Like, and then you just get distracted because your brain is constantly on. It's like you have to train your brain to do it. Like, if I'm struggling to sleep, I'll get Alexa to put on the thunderstorm sounds or whatever. But generally, I... Like, and that's when I'm having the, like, too much thinking. But if I... Other than that, it's close your eyes, clear your head, go for a walk. It's just training, I think. Yeah. You've, you've got it down. Except for when Colin turns the electric blanket on and tries to roast me alive. <laughs> <laughs> and you wake up in a panic like, the park's on fire! <laughs> <sighs> but in saying that, you d- like, you know, there is times where you fail and then you have to wake up really early and then you're counting down the hours like Chandler and it's like, if I go yeah. to bed now, I'll get four hours. I think hmm. the whole idea of like being able to walk through the park and have it turn into some kind of daydream that turns into you falling asleep. You get tired That's when you walk. That's the thing. I just get bored. So do I. I just get bored. <laughs> And I just lie there it's and it's like, it's your imagination. I you yeah, have it. You want. It's, it's just like the most boring thing ever. And it's like, I'm fucking, there's another lamppost. And it's like, it could be on fire or magic. Yeah, but why would I imagine? I would, like, I don't imagine those things because they're boring. You know, like, I, I can imagine, like, I can even imagine the most spectacular thing ever. I mean, a meteorite storm or something like that. And I'm running along, but it's just me sitting here imagining things and I'm bored out of my mind. You're reminding me of that episode of The Simpsons where Bart's like, oh, Itchy and Scratchy's not on the TV anymore. Well, I can't remember what the line is, but he's like, TV does have no comparison to the imagination of a small boy. And then he's like in his head and he's seeing a TV set and he's trying to get Itchy and Scratchy to do something to each other. But they're both just standing there. And he's like, damn TV, ruined my imagination, just like you ruined my... Out of hell with it. And then he goes <laughs> off to do something else. But that's it. It's like, I have, I, I don't know if you're the same, but I have no imagination anymore because I am so dependent on watching the phone before I go to sleep. Mm. Like if I try to imagine myself walking through the park, I'm like, yeah, here I am. But if I'm tired, I'm like, yeah, look, I'll, I'll go into dream mode. But if, I see sometimes I'm wrecked, but one, one thought takes hold and then you're like, I'm awake for till morning. Okay, it's not morning, but like keeps me up a long time. Yeah. yeah, it's like you don't know when you fell asleep. Yeah. It's like you fell asleep out of exhaustion mm-hmm. from thinking. So guys, thanks so much for listening. We did kind of go off on a tangent there where we ventured into OCD and just mental health in general and loads of other weird little things. Um, but we hope you enjoy it and or enjoyed it, I should say. And if you do have any kind of phobias that are affecting your life in a serious way, definitely seek medical help. Go to your local GP ask for a referral, ask for a recommendation. There's always somebody willing to listen and there is always help out there. So don't forget that. Don't feel like it's hopeless because as I said, that person close to me, even after 20 years, was still able to get over their phobia. So again, thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week with another podcast, probably more so related to Halloween. I think we had a fair idea of what, we thought this podcast was going to be about something and then it turned into something totally different. So maybe next week we'll do something a bit bit more light or something. If you have any suggestions as to what we should talk about for the next few weeks coming up to Halloween, do let us know. And um, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.